This is your podcast for all things refinishing. I'm Lane Ball with Zebras Before and After. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 36. You'll enjoy our conversation today with our October featured artist, Sarah with Olive and Fern. She discusses her love of furniture refinishing, and we talk about her experience running her own shop. You'll glean much from this conversation with our featured artist. Anastasia with Shab to Rad Furniture shares a great refinishing tip on installing your hardware. We'll find out what Rebecca with the Woodland Studio, Krista with Deer Run Vintage, and Anya with Anya's Designs are working on in their studios this week. Stay with us. We have the inspiration, fun, and community that will platform your day. The furniture refinishing industry continues to grow as so many around the globe discover the energy and excitement when you take an old worn piece of furniture and bring it back to life with a whole new design. A lot of the credit for this growth goes to talented refinishers who have inspired so many. Today we get to highlight one of those refinishers here on the podcast. Sarah with Olive and Fern is our guest today and she is our Zebra October featured artist. Sarah has been refinishing furniture for eight years now, runs her own shop, and has won multiple awards. She is a tremendous refinisher. Enjoy. Hi, Sarah. It's so nice to have you as our Zebra October featured artist. Hi, Lane. I am so excited. Thank you so much for choosing me to be the artist this month. It's humbling and just surprising and very exciting. Thank you. Well, we have enjoyed your refinishing talents for quite some time now, so it brings us great pleasure to highlight you this month. You know, we want to also thank you for all the behind-the-scenes work you do for the Zebra Collective, our quarterly contest. It is a phenomenal contest that refinishers enjoy participating in, but I know you put a lot of work into it. Yeah, it's something that I really do look forward to doing, and I just love the whole theme around the seasons and I think it's a really fun way to kind of kick off the seasons and really get the creative gears going so yeah I'm so happy to be part of that and I love seeing all the submissions during every quarter it's amazing yeah and it's it's really and I know you probably hear this too but it's really exciting when you have these contests and you hear the number of people that said you know it's because of the contest that I took this direction or it's because of the contest that I chose these colors or this type of technique so it really engages people to step maybe beyond their comfort zones and to try new stuff yeah absolutely i mean inspiration can come from anywhere and it can always be really fun to you know step out, try a different direction, and especially something seasonal, I feel like that can be even more challenging because it's not people aren't necessarily always looking for something that is strictly seasonal. So to be able Mm -hmm. to strike that balance is a really fun, unique thing to do. Yeah, it's a balance of creativity and then thinking it's got to sell too, right? (laughs) Exactly, yep. So you're in Syracuse, New York. I am, yeah. It's got to be really beautiful this time of year. It really is. It's amazing. Uh, Fall is definitely my favorite season. The leaves are just now starting to turn because it has been a little warmer this year, Uh which I think everyone has been experiencing. But yeah, so we're just kind of getting into the changing of the leaves and it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. I wonder, you know, speaking of being a little bit warmer, I wonder how that affects the the color of the leaves, because I know weather can affect that, whether it has to do with a lot of rain or if you get into a dry spell versus, you know, longer seasons that are warmer or versus longer seasons that are colder. Um, Have you noticed any kind of correlation between the weather and like the leaves? So you kind of know what to predict. 
you know, it's this year has been really different. Like it's been consistently warmer and we've just gotten so much rain. So I actually will have to be keeping an eye out for that because I'm not sure how they're going to do this year. Well, I'm sure you get a lot of inspiration when those leaves do turn because there's so many brilliant colors in those leaves and especially up north. I don't know. I mean, it's beautiful in the south, too, but sometimes our I guess, again, it depends on the weather, but sometimes it seems like our fall is rather short or, you know, because the hurricane season, sometimes Mm -hmm. what happens is the leaves start turning and then we get a ton of rain from a tropical storm or hurricane with high winds and it just blows it all off. So, Gone in a night, yeah. Exactly. Sometimes it's that way, really. Sometimes it can go by pretty quickly and it's sad, but I'm all about like the burnt oranges and like the mustard yellow. So mm-hmm. definitely get inspiration in the fall. Now, are you from New York? I'm not actually. I grew up in Massachusetts, like right on the border of New Hampshire. And I moved out to Syracuse when I was 19. So I've been here for quite a while. I'm 36 now. Still quite young. (laughs) (laughs) My cousin Courtney uh, from Steel Birch Studios, she grew up in the Syracuse area. And my dad actually grew up out here too. So I had family out here. I did a year of college, didn't know what I wanted to do. So kind of just up and moved out, switched things up. And I met my husband out here and I've been here ever since. Now you and Courtney are pretty close, aren't you? We are very close. Yes. We've always had a really close relationship and we lived pretty far away. So that was the reason for choosing this area. When I decided I wanted to move, it's so I could be closer to her. And then she ended up going to college in Florida like a year later. So she's been gone ever <laughs> since. <laughs> so that didn't really work out so well. <laughs> but no, we're we're uh, definitely super close, like sisters almost. So That's sweet. Now, if I recall, you guys started refinishing close to the same time, didn't you? Yeah, it was right about the same time. But we actually didn't know that that's what we were doing at first. And I, I'm not sure who kind of figured out it first, but we both had a really good laugh about that because we always we do things that are really similar all the time, and that happened to be one of them. So we always think that that's such a funny story. I bet you guys sometimes pick the same meal at night. You should call each other and say, "Now, what are you eating tonight?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's true. <laughs> so so tell us about your family. So you said you met your husband in Syracuse. Yeah, uh, my husband, Chris, um, we got married in 2014, and that's also the year my youngest daughter was born. Her name's Olive. And oh, my, hence the name. <laughs> yes, hence the name. My old, I, so I have two daughters. Saya is 12, and her middle name is Fern. So Olive and Fern comes from my girls. Uh, I like those names. Beautiful names. Yeah, it just happened to work well for a store name, too. Eventually, it wasn't the initial plan, but (laughs) it worked out. And, uh, yeah, so we we live with way too many animals. We've got two dogs and four cats and a lizard and some fish. So, got quite quite the household. Yeah, and you have a lot of plants, too, as I understand. Yeah, that's I couldn't take in any more animals, so I switched to plants, and that's gotten out of control. (laughs) I'm right now struggling to find where I have some outside still. And I'm like, I don't have anywhere to put them. 
Well, I can. I would imagine that your air quality is really good in your home because I know there are especially certain types of uh, plant species that are phenomenal at filtering out pollutants right. in the air. And mm-hmm. so that's, that's great. I like to have, you know, the good air quality in the house balance out all the animal hair that's on the floors <laughs> exactly. and make up for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've, uh, I think it was last year, the year before we read that spider plants, I'm sure there's a, a proper name for them. We've always referred to them as spider plants. but uh, Yeah, that's what I call them, too. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they, they're supposed to be one of the best in uh, cleaning out, filtering out pollutants in the air. And, yeah, uh, they so, are. Yeah, we've and they propagate really easily. They propagate so easily. Deers um, blossom. They do. Yeah, little tiny yeah. blossoms. Yeah. yeah, they're really cute blossoms, yeah. I've got a few in the house. I've got about maybe four or five. And yeah, they make little babies and then you just replant them. Yeah, my um, wife and daughter do that. They put them in pots. They let them get a little bit bigger and then they give them as gifts. So it's a, it's a mm-hmm. really neat uh, thing to have. Yep. Yep. We're going to talk in a bit about your experience with running a shop. And we're eager to hear your insight, especially for those that are thinking about opening up their own shop. But speaking of shops, touching on that right now, is your shop downtown? Where is it? No, it's not downtown. Um, It's actually a little out of the way of the city. It's more of a rural area. It's a town called Marcellus. It's tiny, but it's a really cute little quaint town. And that's where I ended up opening my shop. And I've had two locations so far, and both have been in Marcellus. Oh, wow. So how far is Marcellus from Syracuse? I mean, do you get a lot of people coming from bigger places? Because everybody loves to go to a quaint town. Yeah, so that's one perk is that it's a really beautiful drive out there, especially this time of year. Like you can get there through really pretty back roads. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of um, like farmland through there and lots of trees. So it's always a pretty drive, like any time of the year. And because of social media and word of mouth, there are people that do make the drive out to the shop, which is, you know, I'm very fortunate because it, it being such a small town, it's not like I get a lot of walk-in traffic per se, mm-hmm. but there are definitely people who, you know, make the drive out to see the shop. And then there's other cute shops in town too. So it's kind of like you can make a day of it type thing. And I'm sure just like you said with social media, you can advertise certain events or maybe your hours alter periodically and uh, people stay on top of that and calls them out. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, my hours get crazy. So especially with like when school starts and last year with my kids being home from school, um, the local support is just incredible. People are always very understanding that, you know, I'm not a big box store Mm -hmm. who can just be open no matter what. Like I have things will come up, hours change, stuff like that. So definitely grateful for that. Yeah, I think it. I think everybody really uh, cheers on folks that are from, you know, from the you know local folks that have started their own businesses and started shops, and you really just want to see them succeed. And so once you know about them, and uh, you're you're like, okay, what can we do to, um, you know, to help by telling other people about them? Say there's a really cool shop, you know, downtown or at, um, you know, in a, in another community, and you got to go check yeah, it out. Absolutely. It's a great support. It's a great support system too, where a lot of the local businesses know each other and 
we will you know if someone comes to our shop, we'll say, oh, have you checked out this place? Um, so it's just a really great way to, you know, build your community. Now, does your um, husband, like what's his involvement with uh, the shop? So he definitely helps out. He a lot of times is part of my muscle. He helps me move around like bigger pieces or pick up furniture, deliver furniture. And he does occasionally come in like on the weekends and will, you know, run the register. And he's he uh, is a very social person. So he loves being in there and just talking to everyone. It's it's really cute. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's very relational then. And I'm sure that also is uh, a big plus for the shop. Mm hmm. Yep. He's, he's a good addition. And you refinish a lot of furniture. Where do you get most of your pieces to refinish? I guess everything did kind of change with COVID because before COVID and before I had my shop, I had a lot more time to be able to, you know, take trips out to certain places that I know would have furniture or go to thrift stores, flea markets, stuff like that. But then obviously a lot of things changed, places shut down, and then I pretty much became reliant on marketplace Mm -hmm. like Facebook marketplace. I guess I don't really use Craigslist anymore. That's kind of not a thing, huh? Yeah. You don't (laughs) hear much about that. I think marketplace has sort of taken over. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I basically find stuff either through Facebook marketplace or now, especially with the shop, a lot of people will approach me with pieces that they have and that they either getting rid of or want to sell. So I've actually found, quite a few nice pieces that way also. I I wouldn't have expected that, but uh, that makes a lot of sense. Now, have you noticed the prices of furniture like increasing pretty dramatically or have you seen consistency? Yeah, like skyrocketing. (laughs) It's been crazy. It's it's been like, I do have a storage unit that I filled up at one point, which at one point I was like, oh, this is too much. And now I'm like, thank goodness I have this, you know, supply. But it's been really tough to a even find pieces that I can have a vision for and are going to be the right quality, and then to find them at a price point that you can refinish. It's been really difficult. Um, prices are now like triple what they used to be before, and I think because so many people started using marketplace, I'm yeah. not sure exactly what it is, but it's been tough. It's not been easy. Yeah, have you found that you've been able to like get the prices down? Like, let's say if you find a piece and you're like, "That's a that's a cool piece," but it's just too expensive, and it's not even from a structural standpoint, it's not worth that price. Have you found people mm-hmm. being flexible on price? Yeah, there there definitely have been. I think what I've noticed is that people are listing much higher than what market value is. Yeah, and some people are receptive to you know, me and it, you have to like take it with a gentle approach. Not like I'm saying, Oh, you're overpriced. I'll only give you this much, mm-hmm. but you know, like just kind of say what I like to do is I'll approach them and I'll say, Hey, I love this piece. I see where it's listed at. I have a certain budget for refinishing. So if you're ever willing to take this X amount, mm-hmm. then just let me know. And I feel like that's a good approach to it instead of, cause some people can get pretty offended if you just like throw out this lower offer. Yeah, And that would turn them off right away. And I've had, it's worked before. I've had people, you know, it sits for a month and it doesn't sell for that price that they want. And then they'll reach out to me and say, all right, you know, I want this piece moved now. I don't want it in my house. So I found that to be a 
a good method. And then sometimes people are just like, nope. And then it just sits and sits and sits. So Mm -hmm. it's, uh, yeah, it's just been a tough market overall. Yeah. I guess they're just stubborn. (laughs) I mean, they're like, yeah, some people are stubborn. (laughs) Well, you know, if they, it's, you know, perceived value versus market value. Yeah, exactly. Now, I assume have, uh, you know, this goes without saying, but I mean, have your prices gone up a bit to try to compensate for the, the increased price on the front end? Yeah. So I've definitely had to raise my prices and it's not like even looking back on when I first started to what I'm charging now. And I still don't think I'm quite where I want to be. Mm-hmm. But once again, I want to make sure that, you know, it's the absolute, like, I'm as good as I want to be like for those prices as far as like skill level like I'm not new at it but I know I haven't been doing it for 20 years either with the overhead of my shop now having like moved I moved into a bigger location so the overhead is about double what I was paying in my first shop and then of course taking into consideration what I'm paying now technically wholesale for pieces um yeah I've had to raise my prices but I haven't had an issue with things not selling, which is really great. And I think that's what us furniture artists do a lot. We undervalue our work and we don't pay ourselves for our time. And even just the other day, I had someone in the shop who bought a few pieces and he was like, your prices are too low. And I was like, what? You're not supposed (laughs) to say that to me. (laughs) But he's like, you know, this is one one of a kind artistry. And he's like, I think your prices are too low. So it's, you know, it's a struggle to find that right balance where, you know, every city town is going to have a different market. You know, you want to make sure if people are paying, you know, higher prices, they're getting the quality. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I haven't had any issues still, you know, selling at higher prices. So I'm, I feel fortunate. Yeah. Did you say to him, we'll start with my price increases with you? (laughs) (laughs) I said, oh, prices just went up. What are the chances? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when you, when you talk about refinishing, uh, let's, let's just, I got two questions that are sort of broad questions, but what part of refinishing gets you the most excited? Hmm. I would say really the envisioning part of it, Hmm. figuring out how I'm going to take this typically unattractive piece and transform it into something that is like, Oh, how is that the same piece? That's crazy. That's definitely my favorite part is the making it almost like unrecognizable from how it was before. Yeah. The drama between the before and after. (laughs) Those are great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that it's typically for me, like occasionally I'll know exactly what I want to do with a piece. But most of the time, I'll just brainstorm and stare at it and go back and forth a hundred times and, you know, hold up different paint colors or patterns and hardware and stuff. And, you know, that's why I'm still doing it. I just love the creative process. Well, I think that's evident in in your style because you have a lot of creativity that you incorporate into each piece. Now, when you're working on a piece, well, let me back up. Before you start working on a piece is when you're envisioning, you know, some like if it, the possibilities of what it could look like, do you fully know what you're going to do before you do the first thing? Or does it also kind of unfold as you're refinishing it? I would say typically it's unfolding as I go. It's generally as 
I'm progressing on a piece is when more inspiration comes to me or, you know, more ideas. It's, uh, yeah, I would say typically it's, it's a work in progress constantly. What part of refinishing do you wish wasn't a part of refinishing? <laughs> oh, I hate cleaning the pieces. <laughs> I, <laughs> I really, really dislike spiders. <laughs> I definitely have some form of arachnophobia. I blame my mother. <laughs> and so it is so rare that you find a piece that's not covered in cobwebs on the bottom. And that just really grosses me out. I feel like they're all over me for like an hour <laughs> afterwards. You're doing and a special so, dance, right? Yeah. It, I should, probably should record it. It would it'd probably be, uh, you know, entertaining watching me freak out about it. You might start a new fad dance or something called the spider yeah, dance. Actually, yeah, this could be, this could go viral here. We're onto something. <laughs> <laughs> new zebra challenge. Exactly. <laughs> So, you know, I guess I guess it's sticking your hands up under there to, like, move it and not knowing, you know, our hands don't have eyeballs, so you have no idea what's under there, right? Yeah, exactly. I always turn the pieces upside down, so I know exactly where I'm, <laughs> where I'm cleaning. <laughs> and you can find some pretty gross things inside dressers, too. So I, I generally get pretty grossed out while I'm cleaning. <laughs> like, one time there was a noodle stuck to a bottom of a drawer, and I had had it in storage for a while. So it clearly wasn't fresh and it was still sticky and I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's that's my least favorite part. (laughs) I bet, I bet though, as a result of that, I bet you are a very good cleaner. I bet you're very thorough. (laughs) You you, you have to be. (laughs) (laughs) You're probably like, if I put my bare hands on this thing, this has to be clean. (laughs) This has to be really clean. Yeah, exactly. If I'm working on it, it's going to be clean. (laughs) Yeah. That is interesting uh, because the cleaning part, I'm working on a piece that uh, hopefully we'll be able to uh, showcase at some point, working on it with uh, Katie Scott. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And the first thing of course was cleaning and it was incredibly hard work i think i've mentioned this before our listeners are probably thinking yeah yeah we know you had a hard time with it but <laughs> i was just i really was amazed at like once i sprayed i think it was crud cutter and just mm-hmm. saw the stuff the the junk I had it's incredible what builds up over the years yeah um yeah and that's if you're not cutting through it and and the thing like there's some pieces where like I've just wiped and wiped and wiped and it's like something's still coming off. It's still coming off. It's like, it's crazy. Yeah. You almost feel like you can wipe so much that you totally bypass the sanding process and get down to the raw wood. So I've had to do that sometimes. I wow. had a piece that I did like a decent scuff sanding on and then I used a gripping primer on it. And this was wood too. It was like an oak veneer. I did two coats of a gripping primer and then I painted it uh, and then I painted it and I let it sit overnight. And I always do a scratch test on pieces to make sure that the paint's adhering. Like after about 24 hours, I run my fingernail down it Mm. and the paint was just falling off of it. And there was, must've been something. I don't know if it was like oil or I'm not sure what it was, but most of the paint was just falling right off of it. So I then just went through and I sanded it all back and I sanded it to the raw wood just to get any original finish off because that paint was not going to stick to it no matter what. 
boy, that's a really good tip, the scratch test, because uh, imagine if you just kept going with maybe a couple more coats of primer and then the paint and, you know, you got a disaster on your hand. You got so much more work to have to go back or to get through to go to the back. Yeah, I always do the scratch test. <laughs> so, Sarah, how would you describe your style? Like, you know, somebody's looking through your feed. I'm curious as to how you would describe your style. Oh, my goodness. Um, I guess I would have to say eclectic. I've never really been able to settle into one style. I like them all. I definitely have some favorites, but I'm definitely more drawn towards either like a retro, like 1970s. Like I do the wallpaper in my um, design sometimes where it's just kind of like that groovy, trippy kind of feel. (laughs) And then I also really like just like a, a neutral and raw wood which mm-hmm. they couldn't be any more opposite but which i guess why well, i would have to say eclectic yeah. but yeah there's it's definitely a variety now does your home match your furniture style as far as what you what you refinish not really i personally i feel like I, if i didn't have kids and animals i would probably have more of a mid-century modern vibe mm-hmm. but I just have too much clutter to have it. It will never look clean and like streamlined. So um, I, it's definitely a, a good mix too. Like my kitchen is more like industrial farmhouse. My dining room is like boho mid-century. I don't even know what the living room is at this point. It's just a complete blend. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, my bedroom is, more mid-century modern because that's where I can at least somewhat control that area. So it's once again, it's an eclectic mix. I love mixing the styles and I feel like it definitely can be done and have it look really good. It doesn't, you don't have to stick to one particular style. Well, that makes it interesting. And it also, I would imagine also helps out with custom pieces because you've got different people coming for different things and it allows you to kind of deviate from maybe what you know, if you were really stuck on a specific style, that may be more difficult to, to do a piece that if for a customer who is pulling you into a totally different direction. Yeah, exactly. I do find it beneficial, especially in that aspect, because there are so many people that, you know, want just your typical, you know, pottery barn style look, which is awesome. And I love doing that. But Like recently, I had two different custom orders, and one was a mid-century modern desk where it was for a younger girl, and she wanted it to be fun, and she loved, you know, the 1960s, 70s, so I was able to do like a chartreuse color, which is definitely unique, and vintage wallpaper on it. And then right after that, I did a dresser that was going to be a changing table. And that was like a navy blue with card catalog poles and a raw wood top. So it kind of was more like modern industrial farmhouse. Mm-hmm. So it's just like two different styles back to back. And I really enjoy doing both, which yeah. I feel like a big thing is sometimes customer can feel like you're not being able to be as creative as you want to be mm-hmm. because, you know, you have those limitations. But I feel like when you are diversified enough in your styles you don't feel too constrained right 
Yeah, no, that's a huge benefit. Well, we're going to transition now into discussing a few of your pieces. Listening friends, we always pick out two of, of our pieces that we're interested in and talking that we think that you'll be interested to learn about. And then we have the featured artists share their favorite. We're going to start with a few pieces that we wanted to learn more about. Uh, and then in with Sarah's favorite piece, we encourage you all to go check out this month's feature on Sarah and see the pieces we are discussing as well as a gallery of her work. Simply go to enjoyzebra.com and click on the blog in the upper right-hand corner and then click on Featured Artist. You'll see Sarah's feature tab to click on. There's also a giveaway on the blog that you can participate in. Well, this first piece we'll discuss is a beautiful dresser that has exposed wood on two drawers and then a neutral color painted over the body. You also used a transfer on this piece, I believe. Tell us more about it and how you made your design decision, Sarah. Yeah. With that piece, I originally had in mind to do some sort of a piece for a nursery. I like that those kind of dressers always have a nice height to them where they're the perfect height for like a changing table. Mm -hmm. So that was initially how I started, you know, designing it. And so I wanted a color that would be gender neutral. And I went with a color that is, it's a really interesting color. It's like a beige, but it has almost like a celery green undertone to it. Mm -hmm. So it was a really pretty color that went well with the wood. Uh, I should say, I've this is like my thing lately, is I pretty much any time before I even start thinking about a piece, I'll start sanding the wood down to see how the wood's going to look once it's yeah. brought down to the raw wood. And then I'll usually go from there. So I sanded down one of the drawers and the wood was just beautiful, really nice walnut, has like a darker tone naturally. So I was really excited about that. So I knew I was going to save the wood on those two drawers and not paint them and keep them natural. And so then I decided that color with the green undertone went really well with the color of the wood naturally. So that's uh, the direction I went with there for the colors. And then I knew I wanted to add a little something extra to it. And I used a transfer that was pretty simplistic. Um, I love how just like a black design looks onto raw wood. So I did just um, essentially like a row along the bottom of the dresser of little floral transfers. And then I just added a little more on the top on one side to kind of balance it out. And then I did some simplistic knobs so that it didn't really detract from the overall design. And that was basically it for that one. Yeah, this piece is in nature for sure, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, you mentioned, I believe, and I have to highlight this, that you used the zebra round brush. Yes, the zebra round, whoever designed that one, Lane, you got to high five them for me because it is seriously <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> I believe that was a team effort. <laughs> <laughs> well, good job, team. Thank you. Um, yeah, it really is my go-to. And the bristles are, it's just the right amount of bristles that it holds the right amount of paint. And you can achieve such a smooth finish with that. And it's, I basically use it all the time. Even people are like, oh, even for like large surfaces. Yep. Round brush. Yeah. it's It's really a lot of fun to use too. Yep, and it's not just for rounded legs and stuff. It's I think it's good for everything. When you got this piece, uh, did it have structural challenges with it, or was it pretty pretty good shape? That one was luckily in pretty good shape. 
Um, there was a drawer that needed some gluing and clamping. Mm-hmm. And the mirror was actually really difficult to remove to paint initially. I've never seen it bolted the way that it was before. And I had, I, it probably took me about at least an hour to get it out because I had to end up using like little needle nose pliers mm-hmm. to try to slowly work the nut off the bolt. Because it was the way it was installed. I don't know if they just were like, well, this mirror is never coming off. But <laughs> no, I had to do it to paint it. it. That was really tricky. I've never experienced a mirror so difficult to take off. I had actually forgotten about that until right now. It's funny. <laughs> but yeah. um, I'm glad that I did do that because the person who ended up buying it is turning it into a bathroom vanity, which I think is so cool. And wow. she's. She hasn't done it yet. I'm waiting for a photo, but they would have had to take the mirror off the back to be able to transform it that way. So yeah. luckily I did get the mirror off. <laughs> I bet that would be really beautiful uh, in a bathroom. You'll have to make sure you post that if she sends you a good photograph. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it certainly is a lovely piece. Well, we chose this next piece because it also has a lot of creativity on it. Uh, looks to be some hand-painted shapes, and I believe it's an armoire. Yes. Yeah, this one was one of those where I had no idea what direction I was going in, as I, even as I'm going into it and working on it. It was one I started late at night, I want to say. Well, like early in the evening, and I, I worked late into the night on it. As far as like painting goes, I had luckily, you know, had it all prepped ahead of time. And it was just a really dark brown, you know, kind of just dated looking. So I knew I wanted to use that, the light green color. And I wasn't even sure what was underneath. Like at first I was worried that it might not be all real wood, but luckily it was. So I was able to sand down one of the drawers and do some raw wood on that. And then after I had, so I had the raw wood drawer and essentially most of the dresser painted in that kind of sagey green, gray color. And it was one of those things I was just staring at it and I was like, you know, I want to kind of do some kind of like boho mud cloth design on it. So I painted the panels in an off white and I did, I hand painted a mud cloth pattern onto it. And then as far as the drawer goes, I couldn't, I felt it was missing something, but I didn't know quite what it was. And then I was like, just, I'm going to try some dots. So I actually used the cap of a marker and I dipped it in paint and used that as like a stamp, (laughs) you know, like last minute, I don't have a round stamp. What can I use? And it it worked. (laughs) So I did kind of just this polka dot pattern along the edge of the drawer. And its original hardware was amazing, so I just painted that black, and it kind of just all came together. Well, what was interesting about that is I don't know if it was something where I just it was late and I was tired and I had been staring at it for so long, but I really, when I was done, I was like, I don't like this at all. What was I thinking? I'm gonna have to change this in the morning. Yeah, and I actually I remember sending pictures to Courtney, and. She didn't answer because normal people are sleeping at 2 (laughs) a.m. And the next day, because I had done it, I had painted it at the shop. The next day I went back and 
you know, got a fresh look at it. And I was like, oh, I really love this. Like, thank goodness that it turned out right. But it's just funny how sometimes you question yourself when you're just so immersed in it. And then you take a step back and you're like, oh, okay, I like that. Yeah. And you, you even did the mud cloth design on the inside pull out drawers, I believe. Yes. Yep. I believe there are two drawers on the inside that I incorporated the mud cloth pattern onto that. That was really fun to do just to do the the little brush strokes. I did use a ruler to kind of mark out where to start them mm-hmm. so that they were somewhat uniform. But then again, I wanted it to look hand painted too. So um, after I just kind of marked out where to start them, I wasn't overly concerned about it being perfectly symmetrical because I, I like the little imperfections. I like that it looks, this was done by hand. Yeah. And that's, that's what you get out of it. I would assume that if you hadn't started with that, where the point designs are, if you hadn't been consistent with that, it might've been distracting, but because it flows, yeah, I mean, it just, it uh, works really well. Yeah. That ended up being one of my more popular pieces. I've had multiple requests afterwards um, from customers to either do something like this again, or um, I had done a custom desk with a similar pattern. So it was just funny how it was one piece that like when I was done, I was like, oh, I don't like this at all. I'm going to change it. And then <laughs> it just ended up being, I was wrong. <laughs> uh, well, we're really glad you didn't like change it up that night. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, luckily it was late at night. So I was, I was done. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely a, a really cool piece. Uh, our final piece to discuss is your favorite piece. It's a Stanley MCM credenza. And you mentioned that it really represents your work quite well. And you also mentioned that it had a lot of black spray paint on it that you had to remove. Describe oh, it to yeah. our listeners. <laughs> yeah, tell our listeners about it. Then share the design refinishing process uh, decisions that you that went into it. So that one was rough. That one I did find on Facebook Marketplace. And um, the picture was pretty bad, but I could tell that it was you know, mid-century modern. And I was like, you know, judging just by the shape and design, I'm like, I feel like it could be like name brand. So I did, I drove like almost an hour to go get it in person. I was like, oof, this is rough. (laughs) It it actually, normally the pictures are worse, but this one looked worse in person than it did in the picture. (laughs) It was just like globby, drippy, Clearly a can of black spray paint had been used on it. I want to yeah, guess that yeah. maybe it was more like 10 cans of black spray paint because there was a lot. And um, so at first I was like, oof, what, what have I gotten myself into? And there were still parts of the spray paint that were like tacky. And it clearly it hadn't been freshly redone. So it was one of those things where they had just put on so much of it that it must have gotten like, moisture trapped in it or something mm-hmm. i uh weird yeah it was it was a scary sanding job for sure yeah. it it took me you know days and days of you know working on it before you know when you're sanding i typically like to use my sanders to strip i don't love using chemical strippers mm-hmm. a i don't like to use like the really harsh ones you have to do outside and i'm typically not able to work outside so in the gel ones, I just find the residue really hard to get off. And then I go through about 40 sanding pads just to get the residue off. So I like to, to sand. 
And so that's initially I started out just doing some sanding. I did use some stripper in like the more harder to reach areas, like the creases and stuff. Mm -hmm. And that also was just cutting after that, cutting little tiny pieces of sandpaper and working it into crevices, steel wool, you know, then you got to finish it off with a toothbrush to get all the stuff out. So it it was definitely a, a process, but I knew like once I started with the top, and once I had the top sanded down, like the wood was just beautiful, really beautiful veneer. So that instantly got me excited and, you know, keeps you motivated for getting mm-hmm. through the rest of it. So after I, I stripped the entire piece down to the raw wood and I knew I wanted to use some neutrals to keep it pretty light and airy. But once again, the walnut veneer tends to have a darker tone naturally. So I decided to use this really light grayish color, which is one of my favorites. And I painted the two bottom drawers on the right side in the grayish. And then the drawers on the left side were really interesting. There were like raised wood panels on them, I guess I would call it. Mm-hmm. So there was um, some space in between each one. And I painted the grayish in those. So it mm-hmm. just added like this nice visual interest element to it where it looked like the wood panels were just really popping off of the background of paint Mm -hmm. and then of course because i can't just ever you know keep things simple i knew i wanted to throw (laughs) a little something else into it but to not have it be too much like i wanted to keep it like this is such a beautiful piece it's got just nice clean lines all really straight lines And with the neutral color that was already on it and the fact that I was keeping it raw wood, I didn't want to go too crazy with it. So I did just the top drawer on the right side, this really beautiful sage green um, that has like a gray undertone. Mm -hmm. And when I put that on there and I kind of stepped back and look at it, I was like, yep, this is it. Like, that's what it needed. It just gave this little pop a color visual interest like kind of like little color blocking design onto it so it was still pretty like minimalist but not boring either um and then with the knobs on the right side i wanted to do something pretty basic nothing i didn't want them to stand out so i just chose like this these steel knobs brush steel kept them simple they were matte they were pretty and that to me, when I got those on, I was like, this completes it. Just hearing you talk about all of this is all about design. And it just emphasizes even more that refinishing furniture is design, isn't it? I mean, that's at the core of what it is. It really is. Yeah. I think sometimes even now just talking about it, it kind of brings back like a sense of, I don't know, excitement about it because when you are immersed in it, it's one of those things where you're doing it all the time. This is what you do every day. And, you know, you kind of just get, you know, in the swing of things, but it's true. Like it really is a completely unique creative process that you get to utilize when you're doing this. And it's, it's really amazing. Well, I think that that black tacky paint is similar to that tacky noodle in that drawer. You guys must have really high humidity up there. <laughs> we do. That's that's what it is. Yeah, everything stays sticky. <laughs> that's right. It does make the process challenging, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> 
it certainly presents its challenges. So I can't imagine a piece like this lasting very long. Did it sell pretty quickly? That one did sell pretty quickly, which was um, surprising to me, actually, because I don't sell a ton off Etsy. I maybe sell maybe like one piece a month, sometimes not even. A lot of times I'm so busy that I don't even have time to create the Etsy listings. Mm -hmm. But there are certain pieces that I know um, are on the more high-end side, especially like collectors, mid-century modern items that I know are worth listing on it. So um, I listed that on there. And so for me to do a quick sale on Etsy isn't very common and it sold pretty quickly. There was this amazing couple in New York City. They fell in love with it and it's in New York City now, which I think is probably the most appropriate place for it to be. It must be right at home. You talk about your Etsy shop. Does it, uh, do you ship like long distance or is it, is it just, do people have to come pick it up or what's that, what's that like? I only use it for shipping. Other, mo- the majority of pieces I sell are local. Uh-huh. And I would say, honestly, I saw most of them off Instagram, which is crazy. I don't have, like, there are people who will sometimes come into the shop and see a piece and fall in love with it and buy it. But the majority of the time, it's someone like a local follower on Instagram who will message and buy a piece or see it on Instagram or Facebook and come into the shop to see it, which is, uh, it's awesome. You know, it's it's been like a free advertising platform. Yeah, I think I think that's true for probably a, a large number of people because I think that explains just the importance of staging and taking really good photographs and making sure your piece is uh, you know just displayed so well because there are right. a lot of people looking and looking to buy out there, especially the local folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, key is if they're able to envision it in their space, it's going to be a better sell like people if they can see it staged and looking nice and they're oh i can picture right where i want this in my house yeah. um i think that's that's really important to have that where like at the shop like i think they're displayed but it, it gets cluttered it just it's the nature of having a shop you have to utilize the space you have so yeah. um being able to photograph it you know on its own and looking like it's you know in in a home somewhere is definitely really helpful. Well, this is such a solid, well-designed piece. I mean, MCM is such cool furniture. And then when you get a piece like this that has been customized, it really is tops. Yeah, it's it's got great, great bones. And it was just a really great piece to work with in the end. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to discuss Sarah's experiences of running her own retail shop. Hi, my name is Eliana with Why Not Redesign, and this podcast is sponsored by my friends at Zebra. Why do I use Zebra brushes? Well, they are extremely smooth and have 25% more filaments in each brush, which provides me with maximum pickup and release of paint. They also have a great variety of them. For example, I use the round because of its simple design and great coverage, but it's so much easier to get into rounded surfaces with it. The square is perfect for cutting into drawer sides and insets, and the Palm Pro fits so comfortably in the palm of my hand, which gives me more control for easier painting. They are also affordable and very accessible. 
You can find them at big box stores and at craft stores alike. So to me, zebra brushes are made for my hands and not the other way around, and that's why I love them. Thanks, Eliana. We appreciate you taking the time to share about your experiences with zebra paintbrushes. Now back to our interview with Sarah. Welcome back to our interview with Sarah of Olive and Fern, our October featured artist. I would venture to say that many of our furniture finishing listeners have thought a time or two about having their own shops. Maybe it was a fleeting thought or maybe it's been a lifelong desire. It's always beneficial to hear and glean from others who have fulfilled what many of you are contemplating. Sarah, has this been a lifelong dream to have a retail shop? You know, I would say it's been a dream to have my own business. It wasn't necessarily retail shop at first. Um, I actually ran a bakery out of my house for many years before I switched over to furniture. So that was really a dream to have my own store opened and the baking, it didn't work out. I had just had olive and it was just too much for one person to take on. Everyone wants their cakes on the weekend. So I wasn't sleeping for like, you know, two nights in a row to get everything done and fresh and on time. Mm -hmm. So I just, it was, I definitely burned out with that, Um, which is another reason I appreciate furniture because I don't have a deadline of when, you know, it needs to be painted. It's definitely, (laughs) you know, you don't have to eat the dresser afterwards. So it's all good. (laughs) You don't have to stick it in the oven. Yes. So um, it's, it's still surreal, you know, to, to have my own place. It was a dream for a long time and it's, you know, coming to fruition and it's an exciting journey. So, you know, you think about the process of having a business and in this case, having a retail shop, you know, you start with a vision and then it becomes reality. So we want to kind of cover in, you know, between the vision and reality, I think to give folks just some insight um, and I'll ask you some questions to sort of help pull that out. So this first Mm -hmm. question is what obstacles did you face initially when you said, okay, it's time, I got to do a retail shop. What kind of things did you have to deal with that uh, were not necessarily the kindest things? Let's see. So I guess to start, it was more just figuring out if it was the right step for me. Like, is this the right time to do it? Am I ready? First, it was, can I quit my job? and do this full time. And that I actually didn't spend too long thinking about. I knew that I was too busy with furniture and I needed more time in my week to do it. I was selling enough that, you know, I couldn't, I wasn't really keeping up per se. Mm -hmm. So I was able to quit my job and do furniture full time. And then within that year, I actually had, a friend who owned a large building and had a section of it that was a small retail section that wasn't rented and it had been vacant for about three years. So he was really looking to get someone in there and had reached out to me to see if I'd be interesting because interested. He knew I was doing furniture and he was able to work with me on rent. So I kind of had like a sliding scale for the first six months and that kind of sealed the deal for me. Not that, and I guess that's maybe not that helpful. <laughs> that's probably not <laughs> the norm for anyone, you know, going into it. But, well, then again, you know, there are a lot of small businesses that unfortunately 
didn't make it through COVID. So now might actually be a really opportune time to try to get into something like that. Cause I imagine there are retail locations for rent and stuff that might, you know, people might be more considerate as far as offering deals. Obviously the biggest obstacle I would say is money. Like what is this going to cost me upfront? Do I need to take out a business loan? If you have really bad credit like me, that's not an option. <laughs> so <laughs> I, uh, everything was, has been out of pocket for me, which is definitely a struggle, but I feel like it also keeps things in balance. Mm-hmm. I know like I'm not overspending because I can't. <laughs> and that's, that I think is a really big thing is making sure that like, obviously when you're opening a place, you, you're not expected to necessarily make a profit for a couple of years. So you're just kind of in that limbo zone for a while. Uh, so another part was when I had opened my first retail location, it was rather small. So I had furniture there and I did some vintage decor. And then I started carrying um, fusion mineral paint. And that was about all the shop could fit. And when I moved to my new location, I knew it was a bigger space. So in order to fill it and bring in foot traffic, I decided to start carrying a lot more smaller retail items. And for me, that has probably been the biggest challenge so far is striking that balance. With small retail items, I probably quadrupled my foot traffic, the amount of people that would come into the shop. Wow. And yeah, it, it's it's been really interesting to see how this is all developing because I pretty much just jumped into this. I I have no um, you know experience running my own business before this, so it's been you know a lot of trial and error. And the biggest thing for me right now is I have a lot of foot traffic coming into the shop, which is great, all comparatively to where I was before. And so a lot of people are able to come in and see the furniture and see what I do. And hopefully in the future, they'll say, oh, I need this piece. And I saw, you know, what this place has for furniture. So I'm hoping that's also going to be an added benefit Mm -hmm. in that aspect. But the amount of time that it takes to sit down and, you know, figure out what kind of retail items you want to bring in, you pick them out, they ship. You have to unbox them. You have to tag them. You have to make displays and constantly like refreshing. And then I wasn't doing nearly as much furniture as before. And the furniture is where you make your money. Mm -hmm. So that is one thing that I've definitely struggled with is finding that balance. I think, you know, it's essential to offer something a little more than just furniture to keep people coming in. But at the same time, if I'm not selling furniture or at least enough furniture to justify, you know, the overhead. And so it's, that's definitely been a struggle for me. And right now I feel like I finally hit that point where I have the retail side. I, it's a nice variety, the little something for everyone. It's unique. It's these really cool small businesses I'm able to buy from and local businesses. And now I'm just like kind of switching back to focusing on furniture Mm-hmm. And I would say that that's probably, you know, one thing to really consider when are you, do you want to open a shop? Are you ready to take the plunge is how much time you can devote to those kind of things because you get stretched really thin for sure. Mm-hmm. And the last thing you want to do is burn out. How do you find out what 
to bring into your shop? I mean, do you have, like, let's say, for example, local folks, do, you, do they come in and say, hey, I've got, you know, I make, I don't know, soaps, for example. Would you be willing to sell them? I mean, do yeah, you get that? I do. Um, I mean, not quite a bit, but I would say a good enough amount that I have this really great variety of local handmade goods. And that's definitely a highlight of the shop. People are really starting to appreciate local items more. Um, I think it just seems to be a trend that's maybe even starting since, you know, the, the epidemic is people are a little more conscious of where their money's going and they mm-hmm. don't want to see small businesses fail. So I love having the local options there. And then there's a company, it's essentially like a website app that I use that connects you to other small businesses across the U.S. Mm-hmm. who are, you know, typically startups trying to get their products out there wholesale. So um, that's what I used for any other items that I want. And that way, you know, I'm st- still small business and, you know, it's not something that's just being shipped from overseas. So you order directly from that app? Yeah, I do. Yeah. It's uh, called FAIR. Just F-A-R-E or F-A? Um, F-A-I-R-E. F-A-I-R-E. Okay, very good. Wow, that's really convenient, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's an app and it's, I mean, there's so many businesses on there now, even from, you know, the last two years, they probably doubled their um, their options and you just, get, you get to find some like truly unique items on there. And it's it's been really exciting to do that. So has all of this met your expectations and would you do it over again? Oh, that is a tough one. I'll admit there are some times where I wonder if I should have just stayed from working at home and just stuck to Simply Furniture. It w- I, Essentially, would it be less stressful? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, every time those thoughts pop up, I'm able to, you know, just head to the shop and open up and I have the best literally the best clients everyone who comes in there is so nice and you know i get to talk to them about the furniture or people who are wanting to paint their own pieces i get i love helping people get started on their own stuff so i carry everything they need i got the paint i got the zebra brushes i just have you know essentially anything that someone would need to refinish their own piece at home i've got that there so that's probably my favorite thing to do is be able to go over help people. And then they actually quite often will send me photos of what they've done. And it's amazing. Like the Mm -hmm. things that people do on their first try, it's incredible. So it's to be like inspiring. And then I take a step back and I'm like, I love this. I'm so psyched to have my own shop and be able to reach people that way. You know, it's something that I've worked incredibly hard for and to see it being successful is I, I just have to it's surreal it's very rewarding isn't it it is rewarding it is it's exhausting <laughs> i don't sleep much <laughs> but so so far definitely worth it so do you pretty much set your own hours or are your hours pretty consistent from week to week uh they are consistent from week to week i just changed them again i was open five days a week during the summer, but that was just too much. My main issue with being, I don't 
it's okay if I'm there, but I can't paint while I'm open. So typically I'll close after I close for the day. I then go and push a large amount of furniture (laughs) off to the side (laughs) and set up a little area to paint. And then I usually have to, and I work pretty late into the night because that's, you know, the time I have to get stuff done. And then I'll rush there in the morning and try to scramble to put everything back together. And so it's like, it's quite the process (laughs) to even get things painted um, when I'm there. And so that's, I went down to four days a week. So I would have an extra day to just go in and paint and get furniture done. Yeah. It's, it is about just finding that balance between all the, all the responsibilities that you have, even home responsibilities and, refinishing and then probably buying and looking on that fair app and trying to figure out what to, you know, what to bring in. And like you said, unpacking mm-hmm. and pricing. I mean, it's just a lot of work. Do you have any hired help? Um, I don't, but it's, I'm in the process of getting set up to hire someone because I know this holiday season, it's going to be busier and yeah. it is certainly not a one person job when it gets like that. So I am in the process of hiring someone, which will be, very, very helpful. Yeah, for sure. My house is the dirtiest it's ever been. <laughs> I do not clean nearly as much as I used to be able to. So, you know, the house has suffered. My 12 year old is learning to do laundry and do the dishes and cook. So, uh, if you have kids, teach them early so you can open a shop. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Does your 12 year old enjoy coming down to the shop? Does she help out at all with like customers or is she like talking to customers? She isn't as interested in the shop. She's a little more introverted. So mm-hmm. her thing is not going in and talking to people. However, Olive is a social butterfly and she begs to go to the shop. In fact, recently she faked being sick to stay home from school so oh, she could no. come to the shop with me. <laughs> Did she really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it was miraculous when we got there. She she felt fine. <laughs> so just, she, it was uh, what she needed. <laughs> yep, just what she needed. So she uh, was sweeping the floors and helping me with the displays. And she'll sit there and talk someone's ear off. So she, she loves it. She thinks it's so exciting. <laughs> How funny. Do you have any additional recommendations? I mean, you've you've given us some really good insight about your experiences and some of the challenges and obstacles, but uh, anything that you can think of where, you know, you just think it's important to let people know, whether it's positive or negative, that uh, are thinking about opening up a shop? Yeah. So I honestly just want to say, go for it. I mean, it's something that if you are to the point where you are almost convinced that you want to go for it, then you really just should. I Mm. feel like you would regret it if you didn't. You'd always be wondering, well, what if I had succeeded? What if I had gone for it? So I would say, yeah, just do it. Figure it out. Sit down, crunch the numbers. But I mean, all of that stuff, the administrative stuff, I feel like that all can be figured out. The biggest part is, is just having enough belief in yourself that you can do it. Uh, I don't know. I feel like maybe it's an artistic side to kind of always be questioning things like, is this exactly right? Am I ready for this? And that's not going to get you anywhere. 
Yeah. So definitely if you, if it's feasible, if you're at a point in your life where maybe you don't need that much extra income at the moment and you can kind of, you know, survive with, you know, only making X amount each month, then just do it because it's amazing. Well, I think something you said earlier that I thought, you know, that's got to be a real benefit. Maybe a, maybe you call it a, a blessing in disguise, as you mentioned. Well, you didn't have great credit, but you know, some stories I've heard for, from folks is that they go out and get a line of credit, and they, you know, they put in a lot of money to make things happen, and then maybe they change their interest or things didn't go as planned, and um, then they have all that debt. So it. You know, maybe that's something to think about, too, is from a financial standpoint, is that something that we can do, you know, sort of day by day and make it happen as opposed to, you know, creating a lot of debt um, and not knowing what the outcome is going to be. Right. That is something that I will say I don't have that weight on my shoulders as far as if this fails, how am I ever going to get through the debt like I've accrued Mm -hmm. for me right now? Like if this fails. I'm not going to owe anything because Mm -hmm. I've been able to, you know, I'm not spending more than what I are than I have at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that, and I think one of real perk with the furniture business is the majority of what you're putting into a piece of furniture is your time. The, I mean, most vintage furniture you're able to get at a very low cost. And as far as supplies go, once you get, I have like invested in, you know, like a good sander and stuff like that. I mean, you don't even necessarily need that. Like paint and brushes, they're pretty low as as far as what you're putting into it. So mm-hmm. you're making some really good profits off furniture. And that right there is huge. Like for me, how I looked at it was if I sell two pieces of furniture, that covers my rent. And then anything I sell after that, it's going to be like my rent's covered. My utilities are covered. Like most expenses are covered if I sell, you know, three pieces of furniture. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's a really good way to look at it. You know, even just something simplistic like that, when you're debating, am I ready for a shop? Is this something that I want to do is break it down that way. Mm -hmm. And then if you're able, and when you're devoted, you're not splitting your time between a different job and furniture, you're able to refinish more. So mm-hmm. that way you can, and you're the biggest thing is that you're doing something that you love. Like that's your passion. It's my passion. And I'm so grateful all the time that I'm not going to a job that I hate or something that I don't hate, but it's not fulfilling. Like it's fulfilling, it's creative and it's fun. Well, that's well said. Well, Sarah, you're a phenomenal artist and business owner, and you are kind and inspiring on so many levels. It really is a joy to highlight you. And I know as well, your insights into refinishing and owning a shop will inspire and encourage many others. Thanks for allowing us to feature you this month. Oh, thank you so much. Like I said, it's it's humbling. I'm so honored. And I yeah, I hope people can, you know, get some good tips, some inspiration. And if anyone has tips for me about running a business, send them my way too. (laughs) (laughs) It works both ways, does it? Yeah, it really does. That's my favorite part about this community is bouncing ideas off of each other. Like no one knows all the answers to everything. So we all are able to learn and grow and inspire. And it's a really great community. Well, well said. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. 
Sarah, and uh, I guess get back to work, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, you take care. Well, thanks so much, Lane. You too. Today's refinishing tip comes from Anastasia with Shab to Rad Furniture. Hi, this is Anastasia from Shab to Rad, and today I'm going to share with you a furniture refinishing tip when installing your hardware. Now that your furniture piece has finally been finished and it's time for the final step to reinstall your knob or pool, always hold the knob or pool stationary against the front of your piece and use your screwdriver to just twist the screw from the back side of the drawer or cabinet. Never twist the actual hardware or you are risking scratching your newly painted piece. I can't tell you how many times I did this when I first started out refinishing furniture where I would twist the knob from the front and it would ever so slightly scratch the finish. I hope this tip helps you in the future. Happy refinishing! Great tip on installing hardware, Anastasia. Thanks so much. It's time to hear what your refinishing friends are up to. Here are a few reporting on what they're working on in their studios this week. Hi to all my fellow artists. I'm Rebecca Willis from the Woodland Studio, and this week I'm working on a complete rework of a six-drawer dresser. Does Half Moon Dowel sound enticing? (laughs) I sure think so. I'll also be using all my favorite Ziba paintbrushes to achieve this look, so check it out on my Insta. Have an awesome week! Hello everybody, this is Krista from Deer Run Vintage, and the question is what am I working on this week? Gosh, what am I not working on would maybe be a better question. Um, I I don't know if you know this about me. I um, actually am a teacher as my kind of real job and my furniture refinishing business is my side gig. And interestingly, this week, one of my former students is going to be bringing to me um, a cabinet that she inherited from her grandparents that's kind of a plain Jane. It's not really that old, not really that cute, but she wants to kind of farmhouse it up. So we might be adding some details. She wasn't sure when we set this, uh, when we scheduled this a couple of months ago, she was thinking maybe white, maybe black, but she really hadn't decided yet. So all that's still kind of up in the air. Aside from that, um, I always have pieces that I'm working on for myself. And if you follow me, you might have noticed in my stories that really tall cabinet that has a whole bunch of drawers in it. Um, I'm really hoping to get started on that this week, so you might see some of that in my stories as well. And then I've always got some vanity side tables in the mix somewhere, so there's a pair that I have started on, and I just need to get those finished up, and the customer also brought me um, a coffee table to go with that, so there's just always something going on in my world. Have a great week. Hey everyone, this is Anja from Anusch Designs in Germany. I'll start off this week by staging and taking pictures of a beautiful mid-century desk that I just finished last week. It has two storage compartments, one on each side, and a small drawer that I whitewashed first and then added a fun geometric pattern on the door fronts. The legs and tabletop are painted in raw silk by Fusion Mineral Paint, which to me is the perfect soft and creamy silky white. Next, I'll be putting some finishing touches on a cane rocking chair that I started last week. I had to completely disassemble all the parts to be able to reach into all the crevices. It needed lots of repairs and prep work. Some areas are hand-sanded to raw wood, the others are painted in Fusion's Algonquin, which is a beautiful muted and muddy grey color. Now I need to seal everything and reassemble all the parts. 
Next, we'll be waiting for some nice autumn weather to be able to stage and take good photos. I also probably start working on some smaller projects. I get two beautiful antique barley twist plant stands that I'll start prepping. And I believe what's called a spool turned side table. So cute, but also so wobbly in structure. So that for sure needs some fixing. If you want to follow along the process, you can find me on Instagram under Anush Designs. That's A-N-N-O-U-S-H Designs. Thanks so much, Zebra, for having me and have a fabulous week, everyone. Thank you, friends. Listeners, make sure you go check out their social media feeds. Thanks for hanging with us to the end as we have some announcements that will provide you with opportunities to get noticed. We are having a product launch this week on an accessory product that we think you all will really like. The products were designed just for you, the furniture refinishing community. They are four separate apron pins. We say apron pins, but you can pin them on jackets, hats, sweaters, shirts, and canvas bags. The pins are made to last, and each one is unique. First, we have the furniture flip and enamel pin that shows a MCM piece that is staged. The next one is a zebra paintbrush enamel pin. It has the slogan paint on in the design. We also have one that says refinish, relax, and repeat. And lastly, but not least, we have the crazy paint lady enamel pin. It's of a lady with paint all over her face. You can check out these pins at enjoyzebra.com. Put your cursor over the shop and a drop down window will show up and then click on painting accessories. The October Zebra Review Contest is all about pinks and it's in honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. This emphasis is in memory of so many who have experienced the ravaging effects of this terrible disease and in honor of those who have overcome. We dedicate this month to you. Please note that any pieces you have refinished in a pink or pinks may be entered as long as it was refinished between October 1st, 2021 and October 31st, 2021. Along with Zebra, we have teamed up with Farmhouse Paint, D. Lawless Hardware, and Surf Prep Sanding. Make sure you follow our sponsors just mentioned, as well as our judges. Perfectly Imperfect Furniture Restoration, Katie Cloud, Salvage by K. Scott, Portland Rose Studio, and Sitting Pretty Home Decor. When you post your pieces, make sure you use the hashtag, The Zebra Review. The Zebra Collective is back and celebrating the Autumn Equinox. Autumn brings coziness, changing landscape, and cool nights. There are so many ways to capture all the fall feels through furniture design. Make sure you tag your pieces with our hashtag Zebra Collective when posting and follow all of the prize sponsors and judges. Zebra Painting, Wise Owl Paint, Salt Wash Official, East Willow Co., Steelbirch Studios, Olive and Fern, Blush Vintage, and 1379 Design. Only furniture refinished from January 1st, 2021 through October 31st, 2021 may be entered. We can't wait to see your autumn-inspired pieces. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Zebra Blogs Before and After Furniture Refinishing Podcast. Today's episode is also featured on our EnjoyZebra.com site, along with contact information for today's guest. Your comments and suggestions for future episodes are always welcome. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and happy refinishing.